Father, there are so many times where we say we believe, but our actions, they don't portray that belief. Lord, sometimes we confess there are things that we're facing that are, they just seem too big. Rocks that seem immovable. Hurdles, chasms that seem uncrossable. But Lord, we do believe. In those times, Father, I pray that you help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's uh, encounter with Jesus that we're going to study actually follows what might be the most remarkable encounter in all the Bible. Jesus, if, if you'll remember, and if you were paying attention when JP read the story this morning, uh, Jesus took a sabbatical uh, with three of his guys, Peter, James, and John. They decided to go camping up on the top of a mountain because Jesus wanted to get alone and pray as his earthly ministry was drawing to a close. He needed to connect with the Father to be sure that they were on the same page, that Jesus was going to be able to do what he was sent to do. And it was on this retreat that these three disciples saw something that they would never forget. Now, here, here's what we know about Jesus. Looking back, and we, we know the theology, he was fully God and fully man. But while on earth, his divinity was actually concealed in flesh. You wouldn't know that Jesus was the Son of God by looking at him. It was only through miracles that the disciples could glimpse the divine side of his nature. And even then, they really couldn't put their finger on what they were seeing. But up on that mountain, during that retreat, Jesus was actually turned inside out, ultimately providing confirmation for the disciples that he was indeed the only begotten Son of God. Here's the way Matthew described it in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. He wrote, There he was transfigured, this is Jesus, before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. The glory of God that was manifest in Jesus had been masked by the flesh, and it came bursting forth, and with it a message from the Father who spoke from the cloud. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The glory of God was revealed through Jesus. Not just through what he was doing, but on that day it came out. Now, if that was all there was to it, it would have been an amazing experience. But the encounter had only just begun. Jesus actually had visitors. Do you remember who they were? Moses and Elijah showed up. Moses and Elijah. Out of heaven, into time, to meet with Jesus. Why? Well, if being transfigured showed Jesus divinity, the meeting with Moses and Elijah actually 
confirmed his humanity. Why do I say that? Well, the human side of Jesus was in desperate need of encouragement so that he would embrace the difficulty of the next phase of God's plan to save the world. The final step that Jesus was taking was the cross. And that's where the two heroes of the faith came in. They came to talk about the struggle that Jesus would have facing the cross. Now, was, was this news to Jesus? Were they revealing something he didn't know? No, it wasn't news. It was needed. See, as a human being with skin on, he, he didn't want to drink the cup of suffering. Jesus was just like we are. If we can avoid suffering, we will. As a human being, he wanted to avoid the cross, yet it was necessary so as Jesus prayed to God on that mountain for the strength to overcome the final temptations he would experience on the cross. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus was tempted on the cross? Yet remember, he had 12 legions of angels at his disposal. He could have come down in the moment. It was a temptation. But he wanted to overcome and so God sent Moses and Elijah to encourage him to finish what they actually started. See, everything they did prepared the world for the coming of the Messiah. And now it was time to complete the mission. And so God sent Moses and Elijah to meet with Jesus to encourage him to finish. It was a remarkable mountaintop encounter. But, if you've ever been on the mountaintop, you know this to be true. What goes up must come down. When he and his guys came down from the mountain, they literally descended into chaos. As, as they're looking to catch up with the other disciples, they encounter Bedlam in the streets. And guess who it is? It's the disciples in a heated argument with the teachers of the law. And when Jesus walks up, things are about to spin literally out of control. It was Bedlam. If you want, let's, let's pick up the action there. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Now remember, Jesus has just been encouraged. So many times we get encouraged in the faith and then we are confronted by chaos that seeks to steal our joy. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them, the disciples. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered. I, I guess the disciples were too shamed at that moment to respond. So a man in the crowd answered, Hey, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. 
I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. He replied to the man he was talking to the disciples. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And everything was suddenly okay, right? No. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. So Jesus immediately put a stop to it, right? Nope. More to the encounter. Jesus asked the boy's father, how, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf, mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This kind can come out only by prayer. Now this is obviously a multifaceted encounter, right? The, the, the first people that Jesus encounters are the crowds, okay? Mark tells us when they see Jesus, they are overwhelmed and they go running right over to speak to him. Why? Was it, was it because he was still turned inside out and the glory of the Lord was showing? Well, that's not it. At this point, when he came down off the mountain, his divinity was concealed, reconcealed neatly in his flesh. So why were they running? Well, they were amazed because Jesus appeared at just the right time. He showed up at just the right time. It, it was like when, when my kids were young, inevitably, I would come home at the end of the day, just in time to settle some sort of argument, right? The, the three older ones would meet me at the door, all explaining exactly what they were arguing about at one time. And so I would just kind of settle them down and, and work to get to the bottom of what they were arguing about and then commence to settling the issue. Well, that's exactly what's happening here with Jesus. There's an argument they see Jesus coming. He can settle the issue, and they all go running toward him. 
When he got to the scene, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Really? What are you arguing with these guys about now? This, this wasn't their first run-in. There had been tension between the teachers of the law and Jesus and his disciples all along. The teachers of the law were looking to demonstrate that Jesus and his band of merry men were frauds. They, and so they happened upon this scene where a father has brought his demon-possessed child to the disciples to be delivered... Why? Because he heard that Jesus and the disciples had the authority over demons. They had just been on a junket, preaching junket, throughout the land of Israel where they were delivering people. They were healing people in the name of Jesus. And so when the disciples met with this man and they heard this sad, tragic story about this child, they went right to work. Of course they did. They had done this kind of thing before, and they were 100% convinced that it would be no problem. They could do it again. And that's where the trouble started. This scene, we take a step back and look, it is the quintessential picture of the battle that rages between good and evil, between Light and darkness. Jesus previously described the battle this way in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the battle is raging. Right there, the battle is raging. The boy that the disciples were trying to deliver was being tormented by a demon. Literally tormented. The thief was trying to steal his life and, in the process, destroy his family. Why? Because that's what the thief does. That's what the kingdom of darkness does. Now, the religious leaders were shockingly allied with the kingdom of darkness on this one. Why? Because they were trying to kill and destroy the ministry and confidence of the disciples who had become their enemies. And their taunts with the disciples at this moment were fueled by and were actually fueling the failure of the disciples who couldn't seem to get the job done. The more they tried, the more possessed the child seemed. Now, let's just pause and ask the question, why were the religious leaders who were tasked with being the shepherds of the nation of Israel, why were they resistant to anybody that would try to help this poor child? Well, part of it was because according to the law, the disciples were not qualified to deal with situations like this. They, they, they had no authority. Now, the teachers, no doubt, were explaining their lack of authority to the disciples as well as pointing out that their failure to deliver the child at that time was proof that God was not with them. 
So what happened then? The result was, because they were challenged, the disciples got defensive. Now this is really important to understand what's going on here. Remember, the disciples had already enjoyed a great deal of success in delivering people from demonic possession. When Jesus sent them out two by two, they killed it. They were delivering people all over Israel. Being challenged in this moment got their dander up. And, and they wanted to prove to the teachers of the law that whether the law said they had the authority or not, they were operating with the power of God. They wanted to prove that the teachers had it all wrong. Now, what the disciples didn't realize in that moment was that the enemy had tricked them into distraction. Okay, to think about it, in the melee, they began to focus on their past performance as well as their enemies. They lost sight of the little boy and what God was asking them to do. When they lost sight of the little boy, they, they ultimately lost connection with their power source, who was God. In short, the disciples, because of the challenge and because this boy wasn't being delivered, they became unhinged and unplugged from God. And this is exactly what Jesus addresses when the father comes to him and explains that I brought my son to the disciples, asking them to drive out the, the spirit, but they could not. They could not. Now Jesus immediately, having spoken with the father, turns his attention to the disciples and said this in verse 19. You unbelieving generation. How, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Now, Jesus states emphatically that they, the disciples, are unbelieving. Does that seem weird to you? Like what, did, what did he mean by that? It obviously wasn't that they didn't believe in God or they didn't believe in Jesus. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. They were one true God worshipers. So, why did he call them unbelieving? The idea with this word the root of this word that Jesus used here to describe the disciples means actively believing appropriately. Actively believing. Right belief in this moment would have made them totally dependent upon God. I'm going to say that again. This is so important. Right belief in this moment, would have made them totally dependent upon God. And from that perspective, their belief was inappropriate because it wasn't in God. In that moment, Jesus said, if you're not believing in God, you are unbelievers. You are practicing unbelief. 
What, what were they believing in? Where, where were they placing their faith? Well, it was in what they had done. We've handled this before. We'll, we can do it. We can do it again. They believed in their past experiences, which means they were believing in what they could do. I'll handle it. We'll take care of it. Now, I, I'm sure as they were addressing the demon, they were doing it the way they had always done it, going through the checklist. All the times before, that's what they did. There was a formula But what they apparently missed was you don't address the demon first. First you address God. See, they, they didn't declare their dependence upon God. They went right to work. And as the demon refused to come out of the boy, they didn't go, oh, we skipped step one. They just doubled down. They just tried harder. And then in that process, while they were working harder, they started being heckled by the religious leaders. And they got angrier and angrier and angrier. See, they believed they could do it. But what they needed to believe was that only God could do it. Unbelief was for them, as I think it is for us often, it's just believing in the wrong thing. It's, it's placing our faith and trust for this challenge in something other than God. And so Jesus points them in the right direction by telling them, to do then what they should have done in the beginning. What does he say? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. The most important thing Jesus could teach his disciples then and there is that doing his work requires his involvement. This isn't something we do without him. To be delivered, the boy should have been brought to God. And by the way, now that God was there in the flesh, they could bring him to Jesus and let God handle it according to God's will. That's the key, right? When we bring something to God, trusting that he will handle it, we let him handle it. And it might not go just exactly as we thought. The disciples probably thought, well, Jesus, we'll just take him to Jesus and everything will be handled immediately. But did he deliver immediately? No. L look what happens. Verse 20. So they brought him. They brought him to Jesus. Everything's supposed to be better when it comes to Jesus, right? They brought him to Jesus and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. What, what happened was, when the demons saw Jesus, when the problem encountered the deliverer, things got worse. In that moment, it responded violently. But Jesus was undeterred because he knew that his powers were superior to the power of the demon, to the power of darkness. Now, Let's just pause right there a moment and, and think a moment. I wonder how many times we approach a challenge in faith, like we're, we can do it, only to have in that moment the enemy kick up such a fuss, flex his muscles, that we are sent cowering in despair. How many times do we come right up to deliverance only to shrink back because we, we don't have the patience to persevere. Because we're scared off by the fact that things appear to be getting worse, much worse. Listen, here's what we need to remember. When we are in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength. That's what the scripture says. And we need to remember that if we put on the full armor of God, which, by the way, includes the shield of faith or belief, with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, then we need to remember we can and should stand as Jesus did, undeterred, in full anticipation of a victory that will be won according to God's time and by God's power. Well, <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't be Jesus if it happened, but can you imagine Jesus stepping up to deal with the child and he gets worse and worse and Jesus goes, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to, I don't know. I'm not sure I can handle this one. We do that, I think. It's just getting worse. I quit. Even speaking there to the disciples, encouraging them to bring the child to him, Jesus wasn't quite ready to end this encounter. There was one more crucial conversation that he needed to have with the child's father even as the boy, as Mark described it, is rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth. Now, in my, if, as the dad, if I was the dad and this was going on, I, I would have lost patience with Jesus at this moment because look, look what he says in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, well, how long has he been like this? Is this time for small talk, Jesus? Can we just get on with the program here? How long has he been like this? He patiently answers. From childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Why? Because that's what the enemy does. Steal, kill, and destroy. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. 
See, it, it was about the child, but the enemy was working through the child to destroy the family. So if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us. Show us compassion. Help us. And Jesus said, ah, oh, this is what I'm looking for. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Can we just let that soak in a moment? Everything is possible. It doesn't mean everything is guaranteed. This, this word isn't obligating God to give us everything we think he should give us. That wasn't the point. The point was, everything is possible for the one who believes correctly. For the one who believes appropriately. For the one who doesn't place their faith in themselves, their power, their resources, their abilities. But for the one who believes in God, through Jesus Christ, everything is possible for the one who believes. And at that moment, the dad was convicted. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe... Help me overcome my unbelief. His heart was alive with faith. At the same time it was dying in despair. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So... In answer to his question, the boy's father tells Jesus the tragic story of the boy's life and concluded by saying, if you can help me, please. And Jesus, of course, challenged his challenge, if, what do you mean by if, all things are possible for those who believe. And the father responds with the words that I think can be uttered by every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. If we're honest, when we're honest, we can say, I believe. And yet, I have unbelief. We need help with that. Now, there's the word again. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples in verse 19? He said, you're a part of an unbelieving generation. And now, this man is talking about being, is he talking about being a part of that generation? Well, there's a slight difference in the word that Jesus used to describe the disciples and the word that this man used to describe himself. Okay? This word that the man used for himself doesn't mean, it's not just about believing correctly in the moment. It is not about misplaced belief. 
Okay, this man had no confidence that he could help his child at all. A lifetime of struggle had proven he couldn't. That, that wasn't, his belief wasn't messed up in that way. His unbelief was about lacking the confidence in the power of God for the challenge. Listen, he believed God had the power to overcome the challenge. He just didn't happen to believe that God would exercise that power for his son. Now, how many times do we show up there? where we, we're like, oh yeah, God can do anything. We, we sing about it. We talk about it. We read the scripture. We acknowledge that God is all-powerful, omnipotent. That God can absolutely do anything, but we have the problem of unbelief when it comes to our problems. Oh, I know he can, and he might do it for other people, but... You know, I, I'm not, not sure it's going to happen here. How, how did Jesus know he was struggling with that kind of unbelief? Because he said, if you can, if, and I'm not sure you will, is really what he was saying. It, it, it's totally understandable. I'm not vilifying this guy. I'm actually saying, you know what, what? I get it. He had doubts real doubts that were reinforced by the disciples' failure. And now, even with Jesus there, the demon seems to be flexing his dark muscles, and the dad's doubts are multiplying exponentially. So what does he choose to do? He chooses to be honest about it. I believe, theoretically, I believe you can do this, but, oh man, help my unbelief, Jesus. I, I, I guess I don't believe. Not for this. So he's honest about his struggles. He actually confesses them to God. That's the right thing to do. By the way, it's the right thing to do because it gives God something to work with. See, he was humbled by his inability to believe. And you know what the scripture says? That God is in two places. High and lifted up, heaven, and he's with the lowly and contrite of heart, those whose hearts are broken, who are grieved by their inability to believe. So he confesses, Jesus seizing on the opportunity that his humility and honesty provides him proves that he is worthy of belief. Look at verses 25 through 27. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. And you know what that says to me? Remember we were talking about the disciples seemed to be, instead of focusing on the boy and God, they focused on the religious leaders and they focused on their resume. Why can't we do this? Jesus, before everybody gets there, not wanting to call attention to himself in the flesh, he takes care of business before all the crowd arrives to gawk and give him inappropriate praise. See, they didn't know Jesus was God. 
So quickly, when he saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebukes the impure spirit. You deaf, mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And what happened? It happened. He was delivered. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, well, he's killed. He's dead. They killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. You know what strikes me here is that that dad may not have had much faith, and for pretty good reason. But what faith he had was well-placed. It was in Jesus. And Jesus delivered the boy was healed. The darkness was pushed back. The family was saved. Because they brought the boy to Jesus. Now, when all the dust settled, Jesus, who was exhausted, I can only imagine, from the being high on the mountain, that experience where he was turned inside out and met with Moses and Elijah, and coming down to the chaos and bedlam of disciples that weren't believing correctly. Jesus takes care of the child, and he and his disciples go inside to rest. And the disciples courageously say, what What happened? And I, I say courageous because sometimes we are too proud to go back and run the tape and evaluate the failure. We are scared of the truth. Not the disciples. They said, hey, Jesus, what in the world happened? What was our problem? And Jesus answered succinctly. And there's no more talk because they knew it was the truth. Verse 29, he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. By prayer. In other words, there are some challenges we face, some hurdles that we encounter that we can't handle on our own. No matter how successful you are, no, no matter that you're experiencing a challenge in an area that you have mastered, some things just required the touch of God. Some things are only ever going to be overcome by taking them to Jesus. Prayer, I want you to remember this, prayer is proof of the right kind of belief. Prayer is Humility, it is a declaration of dependence upon something other than yourself. 
Prayer is belief. It's invitation to God. Prayer says, I'm bringing this to Jesus. There there are challenges in our life that are only going to be solved by prayer. Not prayer as formula, but prayer as declaration of dependence. Okay, it's not more effort, it's not more education, it's not more training or better training, it's not reading the right book or meeting the right person, it's not the right plan or formula, it is prayer. Listen, it is not about our efforts, it's about acknowledging our need and bringing the challenge to God. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. It was so much more, for us, it is so much more than about the boy, although it is about the boy. And what I mean by that is, I don't know what your challenge is, but I know Jesus would say the same thing. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Listen, there are two kinds of unbelief. There's the unbelief that says, I can handle it. There's some things you can't. Some things I can't. And then there's the unbelief that says, God probably won't help me. Prayer pushes through that both kinds of unbelief. And trust God. So what is your boy in the story? What's the thing? Is it something that you're trying to handle? Because you're good at handling things. Because you can manage it. Is that it? Don't be a part of the unbelieving generation. It's exasperating for Jesus. Remember, how long do I have to stay with you? Or is your challenge, has it brought you to a place where you're just going to give up? Like, you know God could help, but he, He's not. He's not going to fix my problem. Listen. Bring it to me, Jesus says. Bring it to me. Is it an addiction problem? Relationship problem? Job? school, what is it? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we we thank you 
as we have sung and celebrated today, that we have confidence in bringing things to you because our rescuer, our deliverer is alive. We are thankful that Jesus came and embraced death and defeated it so we could have life and have it more abundantly. We are thankful that while the enemy tried to steal, kill, and destroy him and his life and his ministry, it did not work. He defeated the grave. And he's alive. And we believe. Now, if, if you're here today and you're thinking about, wow, faith in Jesus, and that, that's essentially where it begins. It begins with believing that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to live. He died in a cruel, unjust death on the cross. Three days later, he was raised from the dead so that we know we have life after death. So we know we have conquered the grave. He is the reason we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers in Christ. So it begins there. Faith and trust in Jesus. Look, here's the truth. You're not going to bring the boy to Jesus. You're not going to bring anything to Jesus if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Him. Starts with Him. And by the way, if you believe all things are possible with God. So have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you accepted the deliverance that he offers us from the, the wages and the captivity of our sin and rebellion against God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you been delivered to eternal and abundant life? And once you begin that relationship with Jesus, the journey is all about cultivating a growing dependence upon Him, not independence from Him. That doesn't make any sense. We depend upon the one who set us free. Bring the boy to me. Father, we are so thankful that Christ is able. We are so thankful that in Christ all things are possible. We are so thankful that He delivers. Lord, we believe. We believe. And yet we need help with unbelief. We believe that Jesus is the way maker. We believe that in him we have overcome. Thank you, Father, for reminding us through this encounter that overcoming is possible for those who believe. In Christ's name I pray.